The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. If you'd like to join in the discussion, email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm or call into the program with your questions. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and we're glad that you're listening with us today. We uh, are just excited for the opportunity to broadcast on the topic of recovery and spirituality. And we are glad that you're letting your friends and the people in your recovery and your unity and your other spiritual communities know about Spirit of Recovery. We're always bringing you guests that are down to earth, that have practical information for you, that are people that are either recovering themselves or working as professionals in the addiction recovery field or sometimes a combination of those. And so uh, we know that we're touching hearts out there. We love hearing from you uh, via our email or you can give us a call uh, here into the program if you want to and give us a comment or a question. But we know that uh, what's happening here on Spirit of Recovery is touching your heart and opening your mind and uh, giving you some of the experience, strength, and hope. And so it's just delightful to be doing this. Um, we want you to know that you can listen to Spirit of Recovery, of course, via your computer. You can also listen on your smartphone, and uh, you can look at the unity.fm website and get details on the various ways to listen to Spirit of Recovery and the other great programs that are on unity.fm. You can listen live, or you can listen to our archived programs, and that's on unity.fm backslash program backslash Spirit of Recovery. We want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place. We understand that recovery is a large uh, concept, and so everybody's welcome. If you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, if you're a family member that's in your own recovery as a family member, or if you're the family member or the friend of somebody with the disease of addiction, whether or not they're in recovery, you're welcome. Maybe you're somebody that's just curious about recovery. You want to know some more about what it's all about. Um, we welcome you here, and we welcome your participation in our discussions. You can visit our Spirit of Recovery page also on Facebook and post there. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity minister and also a recovery counselor. I'm also a person who has in my circle of love and friendship many people that have the disease of addiction. And years ago, those relationships uh, propelled me into a new way of life. They got me started on an active path of personal growth and recovery and spiritual development. And so my walk today is an integration of the 12-step recovery principles and the unity spiritual principles. And that keeps me growing and it keeps my life uh, getting richer and keeps my life transforming. And uh, so I'm just so grateful for this way of life and delighted to have the opportunity to share this with you and to share wonderful guests with you who have so much uh, to tell us about the process of recovery and about spirituality. Today, our program is What Families Need to Know About Getting a Life. And my guest is Heidi Vogt-Smith. Heidi is a person who is the, uh, she's the clinical director at Burning Tree Recovery Ranch in Texas. And Burning Tree specializes in working with people 
who chronically relapse from the disease of addiction. And they also, at Burning Tree, work with the families of people that chronically relapse. And Heidi, in addition to being the clinical director at Burning Tree, also uh, helped develop and uh, co-facilitates and co-created the family program workshop because there's some things that uh, all families need to know when they're recovering and they have someone in their family that's uh, got the disease of addiction and especially if there's somebody that's uh, chronically relapsing, there's some really important things for families to be aware of. Heidi um, has a wonderful background. She has a combined degree in counseling and theology, so she certainly will have a lot to share with us about the spirituality of recovery. Also, Heidi is very active in uh, presenting the recovery message. She's been featured on A&E's intervention program, as well as she's going to be featured in the National Geographic series that's in production now called How Drugs Work, and she blogs for the Addiction Professional magazine and uh, was recently uh, their featured cover, and she has a wonderful article in there, which I'll post on the Spirit of Recovery page, post the uh, link to that about uh, chronic relapse, about uh, how treatment can work with chronic uh, relapse, and also what family members need to know if they've got somebody that's chronically relapsing. So, Heidi, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Well, we're very, very glad you're with us, and I know you've got a lot to share with us. Uh, again, we're going to be talking today about what families need to know about getting a life, and um, one thing that's important for families to understand is a bit about the disease of addiction and especially what's going on when they've got a family member that's chronically relapsing. That's sort of the foundation, and then from there, families can start to do some things for themselves. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, chronic relapse and about what it takes for a person that does chronically relapse with the disease of addiction to, Absolutely. Uh, to stop that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the interesting thing is, is that a chronic relapser um, is, is, a, is an alcoholic or an addict. And um, they're someone who's typically been to numerous treatment centers um, or has been in and out of 12-step programs and um, just can't stay sober. I mean, it's pretty much what the, the term is. And... Um, and you'd be surprised how many chronic relapsers are out there and how many families are currently held hostage, you know, by a situation of living in a home um, or, or not living in a home or just having a loved one that's even out of the home uh, that is a chronic relapser. It is such a roller coaster for the, um, the actual chronic relapser, but most often um, the family members are on the roller coaster ride with them for years and years and years. And um, it takes an enormous financial, emotional, and spiritual toll on the family members. So you know, the solution is the same for a chronic relapser as it is for, you know, any run-of-the-mill addict or alcoholic. Um, you know, uh, that, that solution is a spiritual solution by working all 12 steps. Um, but unfortunately, uh, with chronic relapsers, to get them to the point where they can work all 12 steps and have that spiritual awakening that is necessary for lasting sobriety can often be a daunting task. So, um, you know, that's the treatment center that I work for is a long-term treatment center, um, like ultra long-term, um, where they, they may be in treatment for, um, you know, up to a year even of residential treatment, and it gives them the opportunity to be in a safe and protected environment so that they can work all 12 steps and uh, and have that spiritual experience that's necessary for lasting sobriety. And um, and even though it's a different problem with family members, uh, it's the same solution. You know, the family members have to find a spiritual solution to the roller coaster that they're on as well. Right. So with chronic relapsers, it, it, it can feel really, really hopeless um, for the families. And like you said, they get drained. They go through so many. Uh, I mean, I think some of us are aware there are people that have been to treatment like 25 times. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Relapsing. Yeah. It, so it, is, it can be a really, really hopeless situation. Um, there's, there's often so much hope the first time 
a family member agrees to go to treatment, you know, maybe there's an intervention involved and you finally, you know, get them to go to treatment and it feels like that day that they arrive at the treatment center and sign all the paperwork and, you know, agree to go. It's like the family members go home and just can rest and, and relax and breathe and exhale and there's so much hope. And um, and the hope is, is that that one treatment center works, um, you know, but, you know, unfortunately for a certain few of that population, um, it, that's going to be the first of numerous treatment centers and, um, and it doesn't work. And, and the families can be so shattered when they realize that that hope that they had um, in, in the treatment center and or their family member, um, you know, didn't produce the results they wanted. Right. What's a, a typical response that that family members um, have when somebody, when their family member does come into your program and you start to talk with them in the family program about, okay, what do you do when you got this person that's chronically relapsing? Um, you know, we see a, a, a couple of different responses. You know, um, spouses have have different responses than moms and have different responses than dads, um, you know, and, and then children, you know, so we see, you know, with the different family relationships, different dynamics, but uh, typically, you know, families are either very hopeless by the time they get to the, the treatment center that I work at, and uh, they're basically just, uh, it, it's the last house on the block, you know, they're they're like, we'll try one last, we'll try this, and, the, and this is it. Um, or, you know, they um, they still have incredible hope and they're still really man- micromanaging their loved one's lives um, and call us on the phone you know, or try to call us on the phone every day, um, you know, to check in and make sure we're doing everything, you know, just right and that, you know, that, um, that we're going to make sure and fix them this time. Um, you know, and then, and then a lot of times we have people that are very, very angry and want nothing to do with their loved one by the time they, they get to us. Mm-hmm. Right. What? Um, so, what are some of the things that you, uh, and you, you know, spoke earlier that family members need to find their spiritual solution? And it's it's interesting because, in some ways, of course, that spiritual solution is is the same as the person yeah. with the substance addiction. And in other ways, it kind of has maybe a little different flavor, or they come to it from a different sure. angle. So, what is it? What's this? Maybe I'll, let me ask you this: What's the spiritual malady? Of the family members? Well, um, you know, the spiritual malady, um, you know, like you said, you know, with an, an addict or an alcoholic, you know, we describe that feeling as being, you know, really discontent and not at ease in their own skin. And in a family member, what we see is, you know, while the addict or the alcoholic may have a drug of choice, um, you know, cocaine or alcohol or Oxycontin, the family member's drug of choice is their family, is their loved one, the addict. And so their life becomes completely obsessed and revolved around this loved one. And it can look different. It can be obsessed with, um, you know, being angry at them or hating them. It can be obsessed with trying to manage them and fix them. Um, but whatever it is, um, you know, the, that, that obsession, you know, takes over their life. And, you know, for anybody that's ever lived in a home with an active addict, they know that, I mean, it would drive anybody crazy. So if you weren't sick before, you know, spiritually sick or mentally sick or emotionally sick, um, you'll be sick afterwards because living in a home with an active addict um, will make anybody crazy. Um, they're very manipulative. They make you think you're crazy. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, your hopes are shattered time and time again. And it, it breaks you down, and basically what happens is the family members oftentimes end up just as sick, if not sicker, than the addict or the alcoholic. And we see that time and time again um, at Burning Tree, is that, you know, by the time they get to us, I mean, the family members have no life. I mean, they have given up everything. And, you know, they have no social life. They have no spiritual life. Their entire life is consumed by their loved one's sickness. And so that spiritual malady really shows up um, in that way. And the solution um, is, you know, I believe working the 12 steps in the same way, um, you know, but, but looking at their fear and their control 
and their obsession about that individual and their need to have that individual well for them to be okay. What is it that uh, gives family members the incentive to start that first step of the 12-step programs, whether it's Al-Anon family groups, which is for the families and friends of alcoholics, or maybe Naranon, which is for family and friends uh, of narcotics or whatever, drug people addicted to drugs. But anyway, what that first step, you know, is admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become unmanageable. It can take a lot for a family member to ha- to have the willingness to, to admit that. <laughs> what, it's what, it's what unbelievable. I mean, I see family members that will, are willing to go into the gates of insanity before they're willing to step into a 12, the rooms of a 12-step program for themselves. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years, and that's a hard, I wish I knew the answer to that. It is so different for each individual, like, you know, what it takes for them to get to that breaking point, for them to have kind of a first-step experience around their own sickness instead of focusing on the addict's sickness. Um, You know, I've seen it happen early in on a loved one's addiction, you know, where, you know, six or 12 months into it, they realize very quickly, hey, like, I've got to, I've got to get my, um, you know, my rear end into a 12-step program. And then I'll see them 25 years later, and they're still doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And so um, I I don't know what it takes. Um, It takes something different for each person, uh, you know, but... But the longer they go without getting spiritual help and support through a 12-step program, I mean, the sicker the whole, the whole family system gets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are some um, things that, the, that you recommend there at, in the family program that they start doing immediately to get themselves into some spiritual help, to get themselves beginning to get themselves unwound out sure. of that addict's life? Well, one thing that um, I think is a starting place is to, you know, at a treatment center in a situ- an educational situation like a family workshop, is to is to kind of walk them through what step one is and to help them see their own insanity. Um, that's you know for them to be able to step back for a minute and take um, some time out of their lives to like let's look at how you're doing life. Let's look at you know so you keep doing this. Is this working? You keep, you keep rescuing them financially and, um, you know, is he better, you know, and you, and just really kind of take an inventory of their behaviors and where it's getting them and if it's getting them what they want and, um, and the insanity around it. And so what we do is we walk the families through a process of a step one experience of really being able to look at their life and see if um, what they're doing makes sense in light of the situation at hand. Um, And they often can see, even after 30 minutes or an hour of doing some work with them, like, wow, this is insane that I keep doing this. So I think that's a starting place is to to have someone really walk them through that process um, to help them take a real inventory of how they're doing life. Mm Mm-hmm. So get just get that real concrete information about is this working or not? Yeah, I mean to just you know and to even do kind of a you know a life map of um, you know when when this behavior started with the addict and and when they started enabling, rescuing, managing, um, living in fear and control, and what they've what the results have been. You know, mm-hmm. most likely what you typically see is that none of it's made. A darn difference. You know, the, the loved one, by the time at least, you know, I'm working with them, the loved one is still using or drinking. And the only difference that's made is that, you know, the family member has has lost, you know, um, their life. So, and for them to have somebody point that out in a loving way, but a truthful way can be really, really powerful. I mean, it's the same as an addict or an alcoholic um, being willing to take a look at you know, the reality of their addiction and the reality of their powerlessness mm-hmm. um, and their it's obsession. For, so. Right. It's time for our break right now. So thank you very much, Heidi. Listeners, we'll be right back with what families need to know about getting a life with my guest, Heidi Vogt-Smith. Stay with us.
As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Now and then, life is challenging. I may not welcome challenge itself, but I welcome the opportunity to learn from whatever arises, to grow in understanding, to flex my spiritual muscles. Every day is a new day, a fresh start. No situation or circumstance can hold me back. My life is not only about what's happening to me, it's also what's happening through me. The Christ within is my source of unlimited wisdom and creativity. I do my best when I respond to any challenge from my Christ nature, rather than reacting impulsively from my human nature. Every day I pursue what enriches me, enjoying the journey to my goals as much as the destination. This inspirational message is brought to you by Daily Word. Daily Word. Inspiration and practical teachings to help people of all faiths live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. Give Daily Word to yourself or a friend and give the gift of hope, joy, peace, and encouragement. Order your subscriptions today online at dailyword.com. Unity Online Radio is turning five this year, and we're throwing the biggest bash of all. A cruise to the Caribbean, November 10th through 17th, 2012. We'll celebrate in style aboard Holland America Line's Eurodam, with sunshine, fine dining, and a selection of island excursions at beautiful ports of call in the Eastern Caribbean. Plus, feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation. Your favorite host will be there, and we hope you join us too as we celebrate five years of spiritual programming at Unity Online Radio. For more information, go to www.unity.fm slash cruise. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. If you'd like to share your questions, comments, and experience with today's topics, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're very glad that you're listening with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is what families need to know about getting a life. And my guest is Heidi Vogt-Smith. Heidi is the clinical director at Burning Tree Recovery Ranch in Texas. And she's also the uh, co-creator and co-facilitator of the family program workshop there. Burning Tree is a treatment center for people who chronically relapse and uh and, of course, there, there is a family program there. And so we're focusing on uh, what families need to know to get well themselves and how that supports their loved one who has the addiction in getting well, and particularly when it is in that deep-seated uh, place of, of chronic relapse, when the addiction addicted person is chronically relapsing. Heidi has a degree, a combined degree, that's in theology and counseling, and uh, she's blogs for additional profession, Addiction Professional Magazine. She's been featured on the Art and Entertainment Network's Intervention Program, and she'll also be featured on the National Geographic series, How Drugs Work. And uh, Heidi also has personal experience with addiction uh, in her family and also in uh, recovering herself. So she'll be sharing some of that with us as well. But before we get back to our conversation with Heidi about families and about families' well-being, we're going to have just a moment for the Serenity Minute. So I invite you to relax with me, to feel that peace of your higher power moving throughout your body, relaxing, and focus with me on this constructive idea. I trust that my higher power is guiding me into a healthy life. I trust that my higher power is guiding me into a healthy life. 
Thank you, friends, for joining me in that Serenity Minute, and I hope that you feel refreshed. And so now we're back to our conversation with my guest, Heidi Vogt-Smith, and we're talking about what families need to know about getting a life. So Heidi, before the break, uh, we were talking about some of the things that family members can do to begin to unwind themselves out of their addiction, their focus on a loved one's substance addiction or behavioral addiction. And um, we had also talked earlier about how sometimes different uh, family members like parents or siblings or uh, whatever can react differently and in and, and way need the same thing, but in a way maybe need some different things to help them to move into their own recovery as family members. So what can you share with us about uh, how different family roles may be responding and how they can recover? Absolutely. Well, and I, you know, I, I hesitate to get too much into stereotypes, but unfortunately, you know, there's some truth, you know, that females are going to react differently to males. And, and what we see often is that the moms are um, shattered and have much more of a propensity for the, the codependency, the enabling, um, the sadness, and, and, and we see the dads bury their head in the sand a little bit more and be more in denial, more into um, fixing, solution finding, quick fixes. And um, and the interesting thing that I see is um, the relationship with siblings. Uh, you know, we work with a lot of addicts in their 20s um, and the addiction, you know, started in their teen years. And it's an interesting position to be a sibling. And I have personal experience with that with my sister my older sister um, being an alcoholic and ending up in treatment. And it's, a, it's just a very interesting situation because my experience was that I could see the truth about my sister's alcoholism much easier than my parents could. Um, you know, as parents, you have so much love for your child and you have so much hope that the denial can be really severe. But as a sibling it's much easier to kind of sit back and watch the dynamics of the family as, as an outsider where you're not responsible for your sibling and, um, and to see the insanity of what your parents are doing. And so siblings have a unique position and I love having siblings come to the family program workshop because they're the ones I'll usually get the real truth out of. And my experience, um, you know, when my sister went to treatment was, you know, I was a senior in high school, and my sister got to get shipped off to, you know, kind of what I perceived as the lap of luxury, um, you know, a nice kind of she-she treatment center, and I got stuck at home to, to pick up the pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was the one that was there every night at my house watching, you know, my parents cry or my parents fight. Um, I'm the one that had to watch it all. I had a front row seat, and my sister got to leave. And so siblings are often very angry as well um, because they've watched what their sibling has done to their mom and their dad, and they've seen the destruction. They've had, they've had a front row seat at watching how this has shattered their, their family while the addict oftentimes gets to go to treatment or moves out or whatever. They're not watching the destruction. And um, so it's a really unique position. And, um, you know, and obviously, as you can assume, this does a lot of damage to um marriages so um because usually mom and dad don't agree on how to handle an addict um one wants to have more of a tough love approach one wants to um be more lenient one wants to is willing to spend money one doesn't want to spend money um and it can cause incredible strife in the marriage so it's um it's a heartbreaking thing to watch when your sister went to treatment did you and your family go to a family program um, you know, it's funny. I, I actually tell this story a lot. Uh, I was invited. My parents went, but um, when it came time and I was invited, I refused to go. I was a senior in high school. I think I had a dance that week, and I just was like, yeah, no, I'm not interested. Um, the therapist called me and tried to talk me into it. You know, they did everything they could do to talk me into it, and I just was unwilling. I was not interested. I was so angry. I was so over it. Um you know, and I look back on that um, and just how God works, you know, that here I am, um, you know, doing what I do as the clinical director of a treatment center and the creator, co-creator and co-facilitator of a family program workshop. And I just think, 
wow, you know, like God had a plan. Um, clearly I didn't know what it was, but he was working and, um, you know, I'm so sad I missed out on, on doing that with my sister. And I, um, when I had the opportunity to work the 12 steps myself, I got to make amends to my sister for not showing up for her. And that was really, really powerful for me to, to be able to sit across from her and tell her, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry I didn't show up for you. Um, I wish I would have been there. And what I've realized even in the years since I made those amends is that I also didn't show up for myself. You know, as an 18-year-old, I, um, I could have had a really powerful experience and um, really could have used what they had to offer me at a family program workshop going off to college and launching into adulthood. And so not only did I not show up for my sister, but I didn't show up for me. And, um, and that's been a big realization and a, a big regret in my life. What uh, what moved you and in, into your recovery? What in terms of when did you start seeing things differently for yourself well, you know, and your family? Sure. The interesting thing is that I didn't approach recovery in the twelve steps through um, kind of the family member point of view. I ended up working the twelve steps for my eating disorder, um, particularly my uh, compulsive overeating and specifically my sugar addiction. And, um, and had hit a real breaking point with that and, um, and realizing how incredibly powerless I was over my compulsive overeating and my addiction to sugar. And that launched me into some work in the, in a 12 step program that focuses in that area. And I had an amazing experience. And after a few years in that program, I was, um, I was, you know, working in the treatment field and ended up, um, in a relationship with my current husband, who is also a recovered drug addict. And I, um, a few months into my marriage, I realized, wow, I've got some other issues here other than just my eating disorder and um, realized that, you know, I have an opportunity here to take myself on in new and different ways around my codependency and, and realizing that I'm not a drug addict or an alcoholic myself, but I've created a life for myself where I'm surrounded by drug addicts and alcoholics and I love them. I mean, that's the thing is, I mean, most people that are in, you know, 12 step programs, um, you know, because they have family members that are alcoholics or addicts will tell you like, I love alcoholics and I do. It's what I do for a living. I work with, um, most of my coworkers are drug addicts and alcoholics. All the clients I work with are, my husband is and my sister is. And, um, and so I realized like I might have some issues here. So I was able to, to join a 12 step fellowship that w- helped me really focus on my control and my fear, um, particularly in my desire to manage the people in my life that I love. And specifically, why do I, um, find myself attracted to drug addicts and alcoholics, uh, whether they're in recovery or not? And, and so that's really what brought me into, um, you know, that 12 step fellowship and, um, you know, I had the opportunity to work the 12 steps again um, from a whole different <clears throat> different perspective. So I'm really blessed. That's great. If you'd be willing to share with us, what for you, when you got into your own recovery as a family member, what was one of the first things that made an impact on you that started helping you get a life in that regard? Sure. Um. I think it's hard for me to think of a specific moment, but I but I can tell you that, you know, at that moment, at that time in my life, I was not in active um, attempts to control or manage somebody's drinking or drug addiction, but I was in active attempts to control and manage my husband's spending, <laughs> and um, and it was crazy-making. You know, my I mean, my husband and I were newly married, and we were... Um, you know, trying to figure this marriage thing out and trying to figure out how to do finances together. And my husband loves um, collecting and he loves sports memorabilia. And, uh, he, you know, if you got him talking about that, he could talk about it for hours. And that was so foreign to me. You know, I'm, I'm so fear-based and control-based when I'm not trusting God. And I found myself like, I mean, completely going insane around this, like sneaking behind his back and trying to see if he was on eBay, you know, checking the bank account, you know, 15 times a day and, and realizing that I, I was like diving into that dark place <laughs> that, that we go and, um, and, and being able to work the steps around that 
and um, and take myself on in that area of like my incredible desire to control and my financial fear was really powerful for me. And it and so I don't know what specifically launched me into kind of recovery with that, but I think for me it was that first step experience of realizing like how sick I was and how healthy I thought I was and how superior I thought I was because like I'm the one that knows how to manage money the best and I have, you know, um, you know, just thinking, so having such an arrogant and egotistical attitude um, and then realizing, kind of waking up one day and just realizing, oh my gosh, I've gotten so sick. Um, and so I would say just having that first step experience and being able to reach out to a sponsor for help um, is where it started for me. Mm-hmm. What changed for you in your quality of life, Heidi, when you began to do that and to reach out and to get yourself unwound out of out of his spending? You know, it. I mean, it changed everything. It's like when I can be free to to be me and to and to be the best wife that I can be and be the best employee I can be into and and I can remember driving to work and just praying, you know, God, like please let me focus on what you would have me do today. Like I have a job, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't have time to check the bank account 15 times a day. I have a job. And, and like, that's what you, you've laid out in front of me today. And so like having the freedom um, from myself and being able to focus on my friendships and, and um, what I love about my husband, not what I hate and want to control about him and um, enjoy him and enjoy our marriage and enjoy my job, enjoy my church, enjoy those things and be free to um, actually live my life and not be so like micro focused, you know, on this one area. Um, it just, it just freed me up and I was able to find happiness, um, you know, and it, it's, it's like whack-a-mole, you know, it's, it moves from one thing to another. So at any given time, you know, if I'm not trusting God, my fear um, kind of finds something <laughs> to be fearful about. Um, you know, we, we have a six-month-old child now, you know, and I'll find myself, you know, waking up, you know, just, you know, just, you know, in a cold sweat wondering, like, does he, is he, is he showing signs of autism or does he, is he, you know, what if he gets a brain tumor or what if he gets leukemia or and in those moments, I just have to think, like, well, what if he does? I mean, what if he does? He might. I mean, that's, you know, God's in, God's in charge. And, and I can sit here and worry about it, you know, all night long and not get any sleep and be of no help to the people that I work with tomorrow because I got no sleep. Or I can, or I can you know, trust that God either is or he isn't. And, and God's got me. Andy's got my son. Um, and so the ability to do that, to have that anchor, that spiritual anchor, where I can I can stop in those moments and remember that God is, and I made a decision when I was doing my step work, you know that I that God is, um, He either is or He isn't, and I decided that I believe that God is, and um and and having that anchor makes a huge difference in my life. What are some other things that you do, Heidi, that that anchor you in God? It as you're saying, it's so important. It's you know you're gonna drown yourself in fear or you're going to believe, you know, you're going to trust. What are some other things you do that help you to build that spirituality into your life? Um, one, I love uh, my church and my spiritual community. So that's a, that's a big one. Um, I, I love um, participating in, um, you know, Bible studies, um, you know, and spiritual practices like that um, through my, uh, the fellowship of my church. I, I really enjoy that. I love, um, I love my friends that are in recovery. I love being able to learn more about God through being challenged with, through my friends. I've been challenged in new and different ways. I'm challenged in different ways through my religious friends versus my recovery friends. And I get something different from both of them. So, um, you know, and I, and when I'm practicing my spiritual disciplines, you know, like a, doing a nightly and evening review of my day and things like that. I can't say I do it every day, and I definitely have times in my life that that I'm not practicing those disciplines near to the level that I want to. But when I do practice those, like I, I get a huge reward. So those that's a tool I have in my toolkit that um, when I get in a real bad place, I know that I have spiritual disciplines that are laid out through my recovery program that I can pick up at any time. Um, so I would say, you know, 
um, those are just a few of the the highlights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's real powerful. What are some of the differences that you see in it? You said you get different things from your friends at church than your friends in recovery, but you both are valuable. What's a little bit, what's different? Um, you know, um, I grew up in church. I grew up in Sunday school. I went to a private religious school, and I learned so much about um, God, you know, at, through, um, you know, Scripture, the Bible, and um, I knew so much um, doctrine, and I knew so much truth, um, you know, and had a lot of memorization and a lot of that. And recoveries really helped that come to life for me. And, Wait, hold that and thought. Gonna... We've got to go. We've got to go on break right now. So hold that thought, and we'll get back to it when we come back. So stay with us. Our topic is what families need to know about getting a life. We'll be right back. Do you sometimes feel as though the door to happiness has closed and there's no other door in sight? In her book, Ask Yourself This, Unity Minister Wendy Craig Purcell reminds us that Everything happens for a reason. We've all experienced situations which felt like anything but good. We may have lost our job or gone through a divorce or experienced some other dark night of the soul. Yet those very experiences, when met spiritually, can lead us to a much greater good. The lost job can be what finally motivates us to discover the work that truly feeds our soul. The ending of a marriage can trigger us to do the emotional healing and personal growth work we've been avoiding for years. Every one of us can look back at negative or painful experiences in our lives and say that they turned out to be the best, worst things that ever happened to us. For more insight from Wendy Craig Purcell, read Ask Yourself This from Unity House Books. If you're focused on getting the right answers, Ask Yourself This emphasizes the importance of asking the right questions. Order your copy today at www.unity.org. Celebrated Unity Minister and author Eric Butterworth tells us, The exciting thing is that wherever you may be along the way of unfoldment and self-realization, no matter what the problems or challenges you may face, there is always more in you, the mystery of God in you, the Christ in you, which means your potential for healing, for overcoming, for prosperity. There is no limit. Join us each week for Discovering Eric Butterworth, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Central Time with host Rev. Tom Thorpe, right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. You've been listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you have a question, comment, or experience with today's topic you'd like to share, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're very glad that you're listening with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is what families need to know about getting a life. And my guest is Heidi Vogt-Smith. Heidi is the clinical director at Burning Tree Recovery Ranch, and she's also the co-creator and co-facilitator of the family program workshop there. Burning Tree is a treatment center that specializes in uh, helping people that chronically relapse and certainly uh, helps their families out to deal with the issues when you've got a member that's chronically relapsing. Heidi uh, has been very active also in sharing the message of recovery outside of the treatment arena. She has been on A&E's intervention program as well as in the upcoming National Geographic series, How Drugs Work, and she blogs for additional addiction professional magazine, and I'll be putting that... um, URL on the Spirit of Recovery Facebook page so you can read her article that she has blogged on there. Uh, Heidi also is in her own recovery from an eating disorder, and she also is in her own recovery as a family member, uh, for she had a family member who has the disease of addiction. 
So Heidi, just before the break, uh, you were sharing with us about how you get uh, good things, good spirituality and support from both your friends in your religion, at your church, and also in your recovery community, and telling us how those are different and what you get from those uh, both of those different uh, types of friends. So tell us yeah. some more about that. Yeah, well, you know, I was saying that I learned a lot um, of truth, you know, about about my concept of my higher power and who I believe he is. Um, and so I'm, I'm so grateful for that, and I'm so thankful for the foundation I was given. What I experienced when I got into recovery is, um, you know, one thing I never really understood was my need for God. You know, as a child, life was pretty good for me, and um, so I didn't ever really feel um, a particular need for God. And so when I really got to a breaking point, particularly with my eating disorder, and then again with my codependency and fear and control issues, it, it got me to a point where I really realized how desperate I am um, for someone bigger than me. And, um, and so recovery really helped me tap into that in a new and different way than church ever did or could. And that doesn't mean that, you know, I think, you know, I'm just a special case. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people can find that at church um, for whatever reason. You know, God ordained it that I was going to be a special case. And I think, you know, he, he realized that he was going to have to break me in some, in some different ways maybe than he does some of his other kids. And, and, and he did. And, and, I, and I was able to take that in, into the rooms of the 12-step um, fellowships and, and access God in a relationship with God from a place of desperation that I never had really tapped into before. And it made everything make sense. Like there was never any conflict for me. Everything made sense between my religious community and what I'd been taught through the Bible and my recovery program. And I was so grateful for that because I had a lot of fear. I had a lot of fear going into the 12-step program. I had a lot of prejudice. Um, You know, when I did my second step, I didn't have as much prejudice towards God as I did towards the 12 steps and, and having a lot of preconceived ideas about, you know, that if I, if I became a member of a 12-step program, that meant I was leaving the God of my understanding or betraying him. And um, realizing that I could do both was um, so freeing and has been so fulfilling for me in my life. And being able to find other people that are strong in recovery and who share the same religious beliefs as I do has also just been such a gift. That's great. That's great. People certainly have a lot of different responses in that arena, and it's, it's wonderful to hear how you are combining those or integrating them or whatever, or having both of those are important parts of your life. That's great. Yeah. When you, uh, you, you have your professional uh, training is a, an integrated degree in theology and counseling. How do you bring that into the work that you do with families? Well, it's an, it's an interesting task. Um, being able to utilize the 12 steps at all times um, makes it easy to bring God into every um, work situation. And one of my, the co-facilitator and the co-creator of the family program that I work with, her name's Angie Buya, and she talks a lot about the tyranny of hope. Um, I love that term that she's coined. I don't know if she got it from someone else or created it herself, but with family members. And she talks a lot about um, we have family members come in and they're so hopeful and especially maybe after some time when it seems like their, their loved one's doing really well in treatment and they just say, oh, we're so hopeful, we're so hopeful. And she always reminds them, that's great. You know, we want you to be hopeful. We want you to have hope, but where is your hope? Your hope isn't supposed to be in your loved one. It's not supposed to be um, in a, with a human power. Your hope is supposed to be with God. Like, that's where our ultimate hope is. That's where, where it's at. You know, like, if, if, we're, if our hope is in, um, you know, another human on this planet, like, we're screwed because they will always fail us. And it, particularly with, you know, a chronic relapsing drug addict or alcoholic, um, not that they're not, you know, amazing individuals and have value and worth, but their history shows that, you know, there's not a lot to be hopeful in. 
and um, and God is is big, and He can He can heal them, and He can and they can find lasting sobriety. But for a family member to be living in a place of hope in that individual is really scary and dangerous. So we use that to really to turn them towards God. You know that this the misplaced reliance on a human will fail you every time, and you've got there's got to be hope um, in a higher power. There's just got to be. Or, or you're going to die of this disease. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. Yeah, yeah. It's like that. Uh, what are? Where, where is your faith? What's your? What's your ultimate reality? What are you giving that power to? That really Absolutely. You know, and another um, uh, friend of mine um, who I've worked with for years always talks about how fear always equals misplaced reliance every time. It's misplaced reliance on something human, something of this earth, and not on God. And and you know, when we have this disease, these family members uh, that are so trapped in the in the fear and the control and the codependency and the enabling, they just live in a place of fear all the time. And if fear always equals misplaced reliance, then the solution's got to be God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you see happen uh, in family members when they start to put that trust in their higher power? What are some of the beginning signs that you see in them? Well, we're doing the work I do. I work with the clients. You know, so I'm working with the clients on a daily basis and seeing them face-to-face. So the first thing I see is the clients have a, oh, shoot, reaction. Like my family member's getting better. Um, because that means, you know, it's over for them, the enabling, that's the money, the, the rescuing. So that's usually the first symptom that I see is the, the, the addict or the alcoholic gets, um, gets angry or, or just kind of has that defeated, like, wow, they're, they're like really getting better this time. Um, like they're actually moving on and getting a life. And, um, and so that's, that's always like a great symptom. <laughs> is when I see the addict uh, really realize for the first time that things are really different. Uh-huh. Uh, with the family members, you know, I see them, you know, from the from the stance of a treatment provider, we see them less obsessed. You know, we see them calling less. They, they go on vacations. They start doing the things that they love to do that they haven't been doing. I mean, my favorite thing is when, you know, a family's, you know, on a trip to Hawaii and, and a client, you know, uh, pulls some kind of, you know, I don't know, I want to kill myself, I need to go to the emergency room or I want to leave treatment and we call the family, you know, and they may be on a vacation in Hawaii and um, they say, okay, well, just let us know how it goes. We're having fun in Hawaii. <laughs> you know, like good. they've just moved on. I mean, that's, I mean, that's my favorite thing to hear because... They've just moved on, and they're just not going to let their their family member hold them hostage anymore. You know, they love them. They say, you know, tell them we love them. We wish them the best. Um, you know, we hope they don't, you know, do A, B, or C, but, you know, we're going to enjoy our trip to Hawaii because for so many years these families have, have canceled vacations or come home from vacations and, and just let this rule their lives. And so those are the types of symptoms that I see as a treatment provider when I know a family starting to get better. And how does it affect, we just have a couple of minutes here, but how does that ultimately affect and help that addicted person when that family says, gee, we're enjoying Hawaii? It's amazing. I mean, when they know that their family's really done and they're really, they are out of options, there is no back door. We oftentimes see their treatment completely turn around. And um, and they start doing the deal because they know they have no other option. And unfortunately, um, in the population of chronic relapsers, that's that's what it takes. Sometimes is that they have to get to a point where there's absolutely no other option but to get better. Um, every door has been closed. Every option is um, is no longer an option. So it's um, it can have an immense immense impact on an addict or an alcoholic. Um, al- alcoholic, and um, that's you know, and what we what we like to remind the family members is that's just a, like a fortunate byproduct. The like the real miracle is that you get to get a life and you get to get better. You know, if your loved one, the alcoholic or addict, gets better in the process, like that's great too. You know, but like you get to have a life either way, whether you're 
um, loved one that's an addict or an alcoholic keeps drinking or using, whether they get sober or whether they die or end up in prison, you get to have a life either way. That's fantastic. Heidi, we just have a few seconds left, but what's, what's your final word of wisdom you want to share with families? I work the 12 steps, no matter what. Whether you think you need it or not, whether you think all they do in there is whine and complain, keep going back and, uh, and find, the sol- find the solution for yourself and quit focusing on finding the solution for the addict or alcoholic in your life. Heidi, thank you so much. You have blessed us. You have told us wonderful uh, wisdom from your own life and from your professional life. And um, I am blessed, and I know that everybody listening has been touched. Thank you so much. We are just so grateful that you shared with us today. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. All right, listeners, we'll be back next week with Christine Stevens talking about music for recovery. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific for down-to-earth ideas on keeping spirituality in the heart of your recovery. Spirit of Recovery, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at www.soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Is there a difference between the spiritual teachings you know and how you live your life? Does your day-to-day experience reflect what you truly value? Are you ready to receive your life and live the gift that you are? Join Janice Campbell, licensed Unity teacher, author, and coach each week as she shares inspiration and tools to help you identify and dissolve the limiting beliefs that prevent you from living the fullest expression of what you are. Talk with Janice live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central on Receive Your Life, only on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. Your friends at Unity invite you to reflect on these words from Reverend Jim Rosemurgy. Pause and take a deep breath. When you are ready, affirm silently to yourself. Sweet, sweet spirit. I desire a closer walk with you. Show me the way. I am listening. Take time now in the silence to get in touch with the spiritual guidance within you. Have faith that your next step, your unfolding, your spiritual growth is coming to you in divine order through your spiritual instinct or your spiritual knowingness. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways? Do you feel your soul is calling you to deeper purposes? Join Reverend Galen McDowell live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms, a discussion on how God within you, as you, is the power to transform your life. If you really believe that consciousness determines your experiences and that you are an individualized expression of God, join us as we help awaken and transform the consciousness of humanity. We will discuss, through lecture, live interviews and call-in questions, spiritual healing, prayer, prosperity, forgiveness, new thought views about eternal life, and much more. The world is waiting for your truth transformation, only on Unity Online Radio.
Whether you love the Bible or hate it, turn to it daily or refuse to have it in your house, The Bible Alive, Exploring Your Spiritual Roadmap is a program designed just for you. Here on Unity FM. Unity Minister Rev. Ed Townley presents the Bible as a practical, powerful spiritual roadmap full of wisdom and guidance for the challenges of life today. A roadmap for your spiritual journey. Isn't that just what you are seeking? Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, for The Bible Alive, exploring your spiritual roadmap with Rev. Ed Townley, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts. 